<laughs> More hanging fruit is the sweetest. Oh, delicious. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I'm joined as always by my friend and business partner, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen, who is going to start off the podcast by letting everybody know what it is what we do that we do because he never lets anybody know what it is what we do that we do and we do a lot don't we jason <laughs> i'm excited i got a word in edgeways that's nice i'm gonna fill what it is what we do that we you. do <laughs> is filibustering allowed in this you're the one that gets upset that there's no list and now you're the one filibustering <laughs> the list i don't think that's how this works <sighs> okay go ahead you ready yeah go ahead. okay so what do we do uh, I haven't done this in so long. I'm I know, you don't even know what we do. It's that time of year too, where you're so busy. Oh yeah, just, it is. Yeah, right. It is. Um, okay, so for regular listeners, this may or may not be the normal order of things. Um, we own and operate an independent bottling company called Single Cast Nation, mm-hmm. which is online, and a separate line is in stores. Mm-hmm. We run a whiskey festival called Whiskey Jubilee which is in New York, Chicago, and Seattle. And in the... Speaking of Jubilee, hold on. Can I... (laughs) Pause the list. Yeah, throw it out. We're not coming back to this. (laughs) Can we put a pin in that? Put a pin in it. Yeah, put a pin in it. And uh, Whiskey Jubilee, we just completed our third annual in Chicago. Third annual. Is Is that putting a pin in it? Well, I'm putting the pin in in the in the list, so we can tease out tease <laughs> the uh, the jubilee portion of it. It reminds me of of one of my favorite jokes. Did you hear about the constipated mathematician? <laughs> he worked it out with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, tease out always makes me think of that jokes. So. Uh. Okay, and then what else? Uh, what else is it? What we do? Um, we run uh, whiskey tours of Scotland called yes. Whiskey Geek Tours. Yeah, and if uh, if you're interested, we're putting together some for 2018. Uh, there are a number of people approaching me, saying, "Let me know when you do your next tour." And the trouble is, we don't really operate like that. It's more that we have people coming to us saying, mm-hmm. "There's a group we'd like to go." When individuals say, "Keep me in the loop for the next one." it's going to end up being a group of six or eight individuals who will be meeting each other for the first time. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I hear that all the time. Let me know when your next one's going to be. It, 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 it just is that. <laughs> hey, I, it, me and my buddies, we want to go. Okay, what does your calendar look like? Exactly. Right? And, exactly. Then, and, then we, and then we sort it from there and then, and then tack on other people and it becomes a... Uh, Getting the date is know. the hardest thing. Reminds part. me of being in. It's the hardest part. Reminds me of being in high school. Getting the dates the hardest thing. Wow. Were you one of those? Were you one of those guys who just didn't care if if a girl that you liked said no to you, and so you would ask them out? Or were you the type of guy who was like, "Ooh, she, she might say no. I'm not gonna not gonna ask her." Huh. I didn't know they could say no to you. Did you only hear yeses? Were you that handsome with your jufro and your fluffiness? <laughs> uh. It was the seventies. <laughs> it, it was the seventies. Uh, it was not the seventies. It was the nineties. Thank you very much. And uh, it was a mixture of Jufro, metalhead yep. hair, 
And then there was a period Canadian in Canadian tuxedo. I've seen the photos. What's a Canadian tuxedo? Denim jacket, denim jeans. <laughs> That's funny. I never heard that. <laughs> I've seen the photos. <laughs> but there was also that period in, of time in my senior year where I dyed my hair black. And oh, wow. I, uh, yeah, I was very Robert Smithy. Oh, God. Yeah. I was a nobody happy Robert be. Smith, though. I was going to say, nobody should be Robert Smith. No. Not even Robert Smith wants to be Robert Smith. <laughs> That's true. I assume. I've never read a, an interview he, with Japs. So. He goes by Robert. Anyway. Robert. <laughs> so, I, I was I was very much the type of chap who absolutely did not want to ask out a girl because no was just like the, the worst thing I could ever imagine them saying. And so, Oh, yeah. I... So I never dealt with that much rejection, but uh, at the same time, I've got no problem uh, being rejected. Yeah, you seem like the type. I'm very sure of myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so to complete the list, we also run a podcast That's called right. One Nation Under Whiskey, yeah. uh, and uh, we both, and this is what we're talking about this crazy busy time of year, and we also both work on the Impex portfolio. Impex has been our importer since 2011, and we are very happy to represent their brands. Joshua in the Northeast in Chicago, Jason in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are all the things. Those are all the things. That, that sort of fills out the list, if you will. And we're dads, and we're husbands, all right. and we're sons. Sons, yes. Well, it's a long list, but it it's is. all whiskey all the time, so it's hard to, hard to complain. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. Enjoying the scene. Get on with it. So I see you've got whiskey in your glass, Josh. I do have whiskey in my glass. <laughs> what did you decide to pour today? Well, first I want to say that I'm impressed as to how observant you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know what I poured? I poured. Uh, it's what did I pour? <laughs> there it is. I poured our 21-year-old Tormor. <laughs> You know you're surrounded by whiskey when you're trying to look at what was it I poured again? It's not just a bottle sitting in front of you in an empty room. Like one of I poured one of these bottles. Now which one was it? So yeah, I have the 21 year old Tormor in my glass, and we selected this specifically for JVS, who's our distributor in California. Indeed, it's all true. Right. Uh, so for our first release, we bottled a an eight year old Ben Nevis for Skernick who is our New York, New Jersey, Connecticut distributor. And and this time around, our California distributor wanted a cask as well. And Tormor is one that I know is near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Beautiful distillery. Yeah. Spectacular-looking oh, distillery. It's, it, what's interesting is, you know, Tormor just makes whiskey to go into blend. It doesn't need to be a beautiful distillery. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it right? looks like something from a movie set. It does. When, yeah. when you drive around that corner and you feel like you're in some Hollywood production uh, in Scotland, uh-huh. and uh, it's just, it really is beautiful. If you're, if you're listening and you're not familiar and you're not driving, definitely Google Tormor, T-O-R-M-O-R-E, and just take a look at it. It's it's just, just beautiful. Lovely yeah. setting. Yep. So actually... One of the first Tormors that I have ever had, uh, actually, I will call it my seventh Tormor. So it's within the first 10. 
It was with you in Scotland, 2012, and we were at a cask broker, and there was a 1984. Mm-hmm, correct. Checks out. Mm-hmm. That upon tasting it, you say you nose it and you say, ooh, that's interesting. Some nice spice, some lemony thing going on there. You know, it, it was an intriguing nose. It was, um, there was a minerality to it, which I, which I quite liked. And then we taste it. And meanwhile, the, the broker is saying, I don't know who wants this cask. It's, it's, it's intense. It's intense. And so we taste it. And we're like, okay, that tastes good. Oh, it's getting peppery. All right, it's getting <laughs> even more peppery. <laughs> and now it's, oh, oh, more peppery, more. Um, it won't stop. It won't, it won't stop. It was the most intense whiskey. It think, was very right? intense. Right? Very intense. And what did we call that one, lovingly? Tormordor. Tormordor. It was, yeah, it was the fiery pits of Mordor. It was, yeah, it was, it was mental. I actually thought you were, when you first started that story, I actually thought you were talking about the 1984 Tormor that was bottled for uh, Whiskey, Whiskey, Whiskey Forum. Uh, and it's a cracking, cracking 1984 Tormor. Yeah, okay. really good. Yeah, very, very pleasant. Um, but I, I remember it was a different cast a different that one. we had the sample of. Yeah. Um, speaking of that broker, yeah. um, you and I were talking about this just the other week. Do you remember when we were offered a, a Macallan Octave mm. and uh, we were going to get maybe 70 bottles out of it, but we'd have to sell them for $300 each? And and we were like, $300 Macallan, like that's going to be. Years, yeah. Right? That's going to be hard to shift. And I just saw something online yesterday that one of the stores in California has got a six hundred dollar single cask Macallan, <sighs> and they're and they're rightly talking about how much of a value that is, uh, because single casks <laughs> from the distillery direct mm-hmm. um, are far more expensive than that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that's in the space of four years. I think it was four years ago we were offered the the Macallan Octave. Was, yeah. In four years, we've gone from 300 or being even 350 much, yeah. being, oh, that'll be a hard one. That might just be the, the Macallan aficionados to now, oh, 600? Yeah, that's a good price for a Macallan single cask. Four years. Wow. <sighs> crazy times. Crazy times. Anyway, what are we doing this week, Joshua? So this week, you and I, yes. I thought it would be good because we're coming right off the heels of Whiskey Jubilee Chicago. We are. Uh, right? Our, our third annual event there. And like our New York one, like our Seattle one, before that, we always did a Jubilee just to recap the evening. And this time around, one of the things that I was keen to do was to incorporate some of our interviews for the full week. So not just for the Smart. Jubilee, for the week. Yep. Because what's what we're finding out with each Jubilee is that it's no longer a single event that we have, uh, we have brands, we've got distilleries. Um, we have groups coming to us saying, we want to do an event. Can we plan this event and you make it part of whiskey Jubilee week? That way you're letting your attendees know, Hey, we've got this thing going on. So, right. And it's interesting that we, (laughs) Our third Jubilee location, our third Jubilee city was Seattle. Mm-hmm. It was the first one to get a Whiskey Jubilee week. Right, yeah. Chicago was our second Jubilee city. 
and it was the second to get a Whiskey Jubilee Week. And our original New York City, partly because it has a master class the afternoon of the Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Um, but New York, our original Jubilee City, will be the last one to get a, a Whiskey <laughs> Jubilee Week. It's it's just funny how these things work out, how they come together, the requests people make. Um, yeah. It kind of goes to show that we don't really sit down with a with a large spreadsheet and plan all this out five years in advance. We're kind of thinking on our feet a lot of the time. Well, we we definitely are thinking on our feet. You know, right now we have Whiskey Jubilee Seattle coming up March fifteen, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we only launch ticket sales the day after Whiskey Jubilee Chicago. Yep. And and so now we've got four four and a half months, whatever it is. Uh, where we're putting everything together, it's, you know, we, we just, especially during this time of year, we don't have the time to make massive plans. However, you know, seemingly, in, you know, or I should say, interestingly enough, this year in Chicago, I was, I was a bit nervous because just like with every other Jubilee event, it's that last week where we're just tying up loose ends and ooh, how's this going to look and how's this going to work and loose ends are the worst oh, they're the worst but they happen every time we should start tying up loose ends earlier yes <laughs> <laughs> yes yes we should but but you know it, especially this time around in chicago you know i was more stressed than i had ever been I knew it was going to be a good event. I knew that was going to happen, but it's just these last little things, right? And then we and then we get to the evening. The last two days are horrible. <laughs> Planning for any of them. Yeah, there's a peek behind the curtain, huh? These last two days. <laughs> but if you look at look at anybody that that hosts Thanksgiving at their house, look at anybody that has mm. ever planned a wedding, uh, a baby shower. Right, you, you go along, you make your plans. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, plenty of time. If I've forgotten anything, I'm good. And you get in the last 48 hours, in the last 24 hours, yeah. the last 12 hours, and you start thinking, if I've forgotten anything, if I've forgotten anything, I'm screwed. Yeah, there's no other way out of this at this point. Yeah, and that's that's not a good feeling, no matter what you're doing. No, I know. And so the fact that we have got a reputation, <laughs> a national reputation, built on the back of this, the fact that you know. We're responsible for 450 people. Um, it's if we've forgotten anything, we're really in trouble. And, yeah, yeah. And the good news is, we didn't. We didn't. No, we didn't. You know, I think but we always feel like we have. We do. We do. And one of the things for me this year that that I think was stressful, and it's one of those those things that you can file under good problems to have, <laughs> is. <laughs> is selling out, you know, this is the first time in Chicago where a, not only did we sell out, but we had probably another 75 to a hundred tickets we, that we could have moved. We could have yeah, brought yeah. in, uh, yeah, that many yeah. more attendees. Yeah. Yeah. And, ticket sales right? just kind of plodded along. And as soon as we said sold out, everybody came out the woodwork and you I, know, I hate saying so. yeah. you know, distributors wanted another couple of tickets for clients Retail stores won another couple of tickets for customers. Previous attendees hadn't purchased their tickets. Like I remember you told me a story. There was a guy who had reached out to say, 
I have flown into Chicago yeah. for this event. Yeah. Yep. My friend was meant to buy two tickets and didn't. And it's like, I'm really sorry. There's it's sold out. Yeah. And and it's it's like you might need better friends. Like that's a bad place to be in. Wow, Jason. <laughs> we didn't say that to the person, you know. They might be listening now and this is what I said on the day. But uh, <laughs> you but, want to peek behind the curtain. So so for me it was I hate saying sorry to people. Right? Yeah. That, you know, Putting it in a funny way, you made a poor life decision. You chose to wait too long. And I'm harsh. (laughs) (laughs) I tell people they need better friends, but that's harsh. But you're fine to say you made poor life decisions. (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm not sure you're hearing the exact import of the words coming out uh, your mouth. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's I, I felt bad saying sorry to people who wanted to buy a ticket and they said, oh, I'm, you know, I meant to buy these tickets a month ago and, you know, life got busy and I missed it and yeah. I say, I'm sorry, you know, we'll, we'll let you know about next year and, yeah. and move for, on from there. For um, me, it's a fairness issue because mm-hmm. like you rightly said, we could have gone on to sell another 75 or a hundred tickets after we said we were sold out. Mm-hmm. If you let in that one person who mm-hmm. got screwed by the vagaries of the universe why can't you let in the second person no, who was yep. the same conditions? The tenth person, the thirtieth person. Right? At some point, we have to say no, and that was the point at which we started saying no. Um, you know. Yeah. On top of that, you know, there, there's logistic things, logistical things that we need to think about as event coordinators when you are working on the final two days of your event. And your caterer has already brought in all of his food Correct. for X number of attendees. Correct. And then you bring in, uh, you say, oh, you know what, let, let's let those 50, 75 people in, whatever the number is. And yep. now you're running out of food. Yep. Right? Well, and that's one thing attendees let us know about when we run out of food. That yeah. doesn't go over well. So. Which this time around, the food lasted until 930 Beautiful. That right. seems reasonable. So, yep. I think if somebody wants to get, you know, a pasta dish at nine fifty nine when the event closes at ten, yeah. that's a hard. That's a bit tough. I'm not. Well, they I'm can do one. it. They can definitely do it. They just can't complain about there being no food at nine fifty nine. <laughs> that would be a poor life decision. Do it. Well, the other thing that we had. And this is the last point I want to make about the setup of it. And I want to get into who we had during Whiskey Jubilee Week. Okay. Um, but another very real logistics concern we had was this is the third Jubilee of 2017. We brought in all of our glassware that attendees get for sampling the yeah, whiskey. Right. And there was zero wiggle room. We had the right number of glasses for the right number of people who were showing up. And if we go over the top of that, there's no glass for that person coming in. So not only do we potentially right. run out of food with everybody – but we also run out of glassware. And so it's kind of like, that's very real as well. Right. And it's not something I think anybody would ever think of. No, that, that's true. Right. And some people might say, well, why don't you get, why don't you just get plastic cups? We're just not Ugh. that kind of event. Ugh, that's why that person doesn't run a whiskey event. Or even worse, Ugh. why don't you get a rocks glass? Ugh. Jason, Ugh. A rocks. who does that? 
Why are you doing this to Crazy me? Crazy I just I like seeing your face. Oh. I like I like seeing the disgust on your on your face. Oh. <laughs> okay. So that, that's enough of that. Yeah, let's, en- en- let's, enough of that. You know, because 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 the wonderful things it does. Because in the end, Jason uh, and I think I hope I trust I assume I postulate that you will agree with me that this year's event for the number of people that we had, the number of pours we had, which is just around 300 this year, including the stuff on the table and below the table, the vibe in the room was fantastic. This event was amazing. Oh, I was bouncing. I was bouncing for the whole time. Like this, you know, we've been building it. We've had successful years in Chicago. And I've said this to many people. This was the first time that our Chicago event looked like our New York event. Yeah. That yeah. was a, a grand achievement uh, and something that I was so happy about all night mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. The, the, other, the other big thing um, was the number of people who came straight in the doors, straight to my table, tasted the Whiskey Jubilee exclusive bottling for, for the Chicago event, and put their name down on the list. Yeah. Like the festival bottling is resonating. Um, it is. It is. That that was a wonderful thing to see. And then the number of people who talked about the podcast or quoted the podcast, <laughs> uh, that was absolutely magnificent. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, very much made me feel on top of the world. So I, I, I had a ton of fun at the event. One of the, just really quickly on the festival bottling, and, and then we'll get to talking about who we spoke with. Uh, I had heard from a few people. They said, so, I don't... Just, so you, just so you know, Chad Robinson right now is saying, get to the point. Yeah. <laughs> do what you said you were going to do. <sighs> I saw him in Atlanta and he said, so many words. I was like, well, that's part of the charm. Yeah. <laughs> he said, so many words. And that's somebody who loves our podcast. Wow. <laughs> But I kind of feel like a tangential tarantula. <laughs> Say that three times. Tangential tarantula. Uh, love you, Chad. Love you, brother. So, um, so final, final comment about the Jubilee bottling and then we'll <laughs> transition to who we spoke to. I had heard from a few people who said, I don't know how you could have selected a wild turkey cask that was better than your previous wild turkey Festival bottling, because that was the best wild turkey I'd ever had. How is this one better? Kudos to you. That felt that little, good. That, that wacky minty note that it has. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a person. I, I read reviews where people get mint in scotchies. I've read some of your reviews where you get mint or eucalyptus in certain scotchies, and I've, I've never, ever gotten it. And then with this wild turkey, that minty uh, top note is unmistakable unmistakable uh, very interesting so yeah loving lovers love it yeah loving it so yeah. oh okay so who did we speak to we had a whiskey jubilee week that started on the tuesday yeah it, it started on tuesday so in building up to the jubilee uh maybe a month and a half two months ahead of time steph ridgeway of of interbev uh she People may remember Steph from being with Highland Park, like the American face of Highland Park, at least on the East Coast and and in the Chicagoland area. 
Certainly Edrington. Certainly, yeah. Well, to Edrington, but she focused on Highland Park. Please trust me on this. Not sure I can, Joshua. You questioning my character? She... <laughs> so Steph, formerly of Edrington. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Cuddy, Sark, McAllen, and Highland Park. Yeah, so let me correct you again. She you was had, certainly... You had Nicola Risk, who was doing Cuddy Sark. You had uh, Steph Ridgeway that was doing Highland Park. You had McAllen people who were doing McAllen people. Oh, you don't have a name for you the McAllen Char- people? You had Charlie. Oh, they were just anonymous drones to you? <laughs> like, that's how you see McAllen? Okay, okay, okay. Take a note, McAllen. <laughs> <laughs> so she reached out to me because now she's with Interbev, which is the f- family of distilleries that are Old Pulteney, Nachdu, also known as, known as Enoch, Spayburn, Balmenech, and Balblair. Well done. And Thank you, thank you. And, and she reached out to me because she was bringing in Malcolm Waring, who is the distillery manager of Old Pulteney, and he, he was also for a, a period of time the distillery manager for Nakdu. And she was bringing him into the States specifically for the Jubilee. And she wanted to do an event, a little, hey, let's hang out with Malcolm event. Yeah, smart, smart right? idea. Yep. In Chicago. And so she reached out to me and said, can I plan this event and you guys make it sort of part of your Whiskey Jubilee week? And I said, that's that's brilliant. You're taking work off our plates. Thank you for bringing this event. And, and we'll let our attendees know. And, and in the end, I think we had about 50 people at that event. That's a great number. Yeah, really yeah, great. Yeah, it was it was good. What? Do you have a sense of how many were Jubilee attendees since Jubilee attendees got in for free with their <clears throat> Jubilee ticket? Yeah, so that's what I was going to say is for any Whiskey Jubilee week, a, an event that is associated with us gets a free pass into that event. So my understanding, uh, looking at the numbers of the 50 people there, about 23 of them were Jubilee attendees. Oh, interesting. It was right. about half. Yeah, it was about half. And, and the others were part of... Fountainhead's Whiskey Club. Oh, cool. Right? Cool, so cool, cool. so the event was at Fountainhead, and we did it on the rooftop, and this was the last <laughs> evening on the rooftop because, man, it was, you know, they, they there's this term called shrinkage, and okay. that's putting it lightly for the men on the rooftop. Okay. That's when you pour the whiskey into your glass, and it's so cold that you actually have a, a smaller volume than what you poured? Well, no, you, you have to drink it to warm up, and so it's like kind of shrinks in the glass. Ah, you have to put okay. more in. It disappears through the hole it, in the glass? In, is what you're through saying? the top hole in the glass. The volume shrinks that way? It does, yeah. So that's, gotcha. what's, that's what's known as shrinkage. Gotcha. First time I'm hearing of this. Okay, carry on. <laughs> so, so I recorded a little bit of audio from mm. that rooftop event, so I just wanted to plug it in here if you wouldn't mind. I would love that. That's perfect because I know how special those sort of things are to this guy and I know his palate so we picked out two in particular. So um, I'm not quite sure which is which but we've got one each of a 10 year old and a 20 year old hand bottled Old Pulteney for this fabulous expression hand bottled by Malcolm Waring before Fountainhead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're so, going to open these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And this guy is going to tell you the DNA on these whiskeys because I've had the good yep. fortune to drink some of them. My opinion won't matter once you drank them. You're going to agree. So, so what, which one do you have? The 10. Okay, you have the 10 and you have the 20. Of course I got What's the, the DNA on the 10? <laughs> Okay, it's 64.2, single cask, okay? Picked it out because it's something a wee bit kind of different about Pulteney. What I get a lot on this and is chocolate fudge cake, okay? You've still got the brininess, coastal expression going on there, but you've got that chocolate, you've got that, a bit of coconut going on there, so it's like a, uh, a sweet going on, you know? But right. it's, it's an absolutely outstanding cracking whiskey, but just bear in mind, 64.2. Yeah. Uh, we'll get a little bit of water out. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah? Yeah, we got some science water. It mixes right. very, very well with water, just so we don't Science. Okay, yeah, and great. And the DNA on the 20. Okay, the, yeah. the, the 20 years old, uh, cast 1078, okay? Again, first fill, 54%, okay? 54%. But what I like about this one, is the banana aspect to it, okay? It's Arnold Schwarzenegger on banana steroids, okay? So you'll, 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 you'll pick that up, you'll pick that up in the 12, okay? So it's not the normal kind of core range of Pulteney, the same expressions, and I didn't want to do that for her, and I wanted something different, okay? And I hopefully these expressions will, will, will bring that out as well. Uh, totally different, as Steph says, you'll not get this. It's not a commercial bottling, you will not get anywhere in the world other than the rooftop here in Chicago tonight. Yeah. Okay. On the rooftop, Jason, with Malcolm and with Steph. So the, yes, way, sir. They, the way they worked it is they had about six different drams. Let's call it seven. And he would pour the first dram for people. The first one was Old Pulteney Navigator. So, in, you know, NAS. Yep. Decent yep. little whiskey. No Easy complaints access about point. It. Then we went into the, the 17, the 21, and then he yeah. brought two distillery exclusive bottlings. Awesome. I've, I've bottled a couple of those myself. A 10-year-old and a 20-year-old, with the 10-year-old being the, the um, superior of the whiskeys. And then a 19... In one yeah. man's opinion? No, it, it was. I'm telling you. 50 people plus Malcolm plus Steph said this is the far superior whiskey. I would say with 110% certainty. <laughs> but, you know, the, it, the whiskey that shined, in my opinion, was a 1989 vintage, which was Old Pulteney matured in ex Isla casks. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I, uh, I once bottled one of those. Um, they had one that was their distillery exclusive in oh, 2009. Uh, the distillery exclusive was a 14-year-old uh -huh, yes. in ex-Isla casks. Yeah. And it was out of this world. Absolutely tremendous. Yeah, yeah, you poured that for me. Delicious. Um, very, very delicious. Yeah. So that was our Tuesday Yep. So, so normally, like, like with Seattle, we had Whiskey Jubilee Week, which was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Jubilee being mm -hmm. Thursday. And, yeah. And tougher yeah, in November. Tougher in November, but really it was tougher because of our schedules. We yeah, were just both busy that Kept week. Busier than all hell. Yep. <laughs> right. So it was yep. Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday. So, so our Wednesday event was was really interesting. Uh, Chris Riesbeck of Westland, 
Distillery. Great guy. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, fellow Connecticutian. Nutmegger? Is that what you guys say? It depends on who you talk to. We are nutmeggers because we're the nutmeg state, but uh-huh. we're also the Constitution state. Okay. Any nutcrackers? In Waterbury. Yeah. Go to Cherry Street. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I like Constitution State. I just break out my uh, my 3D6 and just roll gotcha. those. And I, I go for 18 Constitution. Perfect. Right? Yep. And I'm playing the, the Dragons and Dungeons. Two, two, two listeners are loving this. Uh-huh. Carry on. <laughs> uh, so, so Chris reaches out to me. He says, I'm really interested to put together a, uh, a, a single malt, American single malt commission event at Warehouse Liquors, who we've talked about before. Warehouse Liquors, Gene, the owner there. Uh, and I said, yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's do it. And he's like, I wanted to be part of Whiskey Jubilee. I said, Whiskey Jubilee Week. And I said, perfect. You're having difficulty with those three words. I know. Whiskey Jubilee Whiskey Week. Whiskey Jubilee Week. WJW. Should we just Whiskey say WJW? No, we should not. No, okay. And so he put together him and Balcones joined joined the team, and and Gene uh, added um, AD Laws, which is another their producer out of Denver, Colorado, and, and they make some really nice single malts. I actually really prefer their rye. I think their rye is fantastic. Hmm. Uh, and surprisingly enough, it's a malted rye or fifty percent malted rye, which okay. Which you know I'm not a fan of. So we had that event. In the end, it ended up being Westland, Balcones, and AD Laws. And it's it's an event space that's above Warehouse Liquors, which is a, a smaller event space. And we again, it's one of those things where we invite Whiskey Jubilee ticket holders. Anybody else paid whatever the price was, and Whiskey Jubilee ticket holders got in for free. And what was cool about it is there was no presentations. It was come in, go over to Balcones, talk to their master distiller who was there, Mm. right? Go over to Westland and talk to Chris and talk to Cherish and let them tell you about Westland. And and then go over to AD Laws and and talk to their distiller there and, and learn. And so that's what people were doing. But what I wanted to talk to Balcones and, and Westland about was this whole American single malt commission. Right, so to what they're trying to do through this commission now, this is a group of about eighty American distillers that either a only produce single malt or have single malt within their portfolio, and what they're aiming to do is to come up with a definition with the TTB or within the the U.S. What does what is whiskey? right? The true definition. They're trying to come up with a new one because currently the American definition of single malt, like bourbon, is it has to be at least 51% malted barley in the mash. (laughs) You could have corn, you could have rye, you you know. Uh, You can make a grain whiskey and call it single malt. Right, yeah. And and then it has to be a new charred oak, which is interesting. Even so, so if you look at Westland's bottles... Yeah. It says um, single malt on one line, whiskey on another. If it said single malt whiskey on one line, it wouldn't work because a lot of their stuff is not new charred oak. Yeah. Right? So, so new anyway, charred oak stuff is tasty, though. 
Oh, it's, it's amazing. So Chris Riesbeck talks specifically about what they're aiming to do to create this new category of, of single malt, which aligns, I think, much closer to what the rest of the world knows as single malt. The event that we have tonight is specifically billed as, and you have to give me the correct term about American single malt. What, what is the, the council of sorts? So it's a, it is a commission. So a it commission, is, not a council. It's a commission, which I think is like a few more people than a, a council. So yeah, they, yeah. the idea is, is that it's part of the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission. So this is, this is the beginning of hopefully a number of different events we're going to do around the country where it's a focus on getting other producers that are involved in the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission to go out and talk about sort of what, what we're trying to do as an industry, dedicating and creating a sort of a developed mindset over representing American single malt whiskey and ensuring that we're all acting as good agents towards what we want this to become. One of the things that we talk about a lot and, and we're having this conversation now with consumers is that American single malt whiskey as a basic idea doesn't legally exist according to the federal yeah. government right now. Yeah. So what, one of the things that we're really big on is trying to create an established standard of identity just like the SWA does in Scotland, maybe a little, a little more open-ended than that in order to sort of lead to a lot more of the creativity that we're expecting out of other American producers, but very much in the idea to ensure that everyone is working off of the same deck of cards kind of thing. We're really kind of keen on that. And I think the reason for it is for a number of different reasons, but the, the major one is ensuring that when you, a consumer, pick up a bottle of American single malt whiskey, you want to know what it has inside of there. And right now, it's, it's a bit open-ended in that regard, but we've set off what we think is a fairly obvious standard of identity to ensure that when you, the customer, picks up a bottle of American single malt whiskey, once this is ratified, you'll know that it's going to be 100% malted barley, matured in oak cast not to exceed 700 liters, not bottled lower than 40 proof. I mean, these are, these are or excuse me, 40% alcohol. These are, these are things that we believe in really keenly. One of the things that we've left out intentionally is the idea of not including an age statement because we want to allow producers that maybe, unlike Weston, don't just make single malt yeah. to get into the, on the ground floor of this to, to get excited about making whiskey. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, th I think that's good too because, especially in the U.S., when you have so many producers like yourselves as well, where you're using new charred oak, and new charred oak, if you're dealing with age, once you deal with age statements, then you have to wrestle with the fact that anything less than, I mean, typically speaking, we as consumers, anything less than 10 years, and it's like, oh, that's inferior because it's young. But when you're dealing with new charred oak, young whiskey can be good because that oak is doing so much to to dry flavor, right? Especially in those first couple of years. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the flavor extraction that you're going to get. I mean, one of the things that we talk about at Westland a lot is the way that we fill new oak. That's a little bit different from a, a lot of producers. We do our fills at 55% alcohol for new white American oak versus a standard 62 and a half. I didn't know that. So your ABV goes up a little bit then. It's, it depends. So depending on where the casts have spent a majority of their maturation, one of the neat things that we found is early single casts of Westland where they were barrels that stayed in Seattle instead of going out to Hoquiam at our standard sort of warehouse area. Our, our, our distillery is obviously temperature controlled, so we found that the proof actually went up on those. But the stuff that goes out to Hoquiam actually comes down very slightly as well. I'm trying to think back, because we, we bottled our first Westland cask, I want to say 2013 or 14. Yep. It was a two-year-old, all heavily peated Scottish barley in a Firstville Oloroso sherry barrel. Yep. But it was 57-something, and it was, it was out in 
Hoquiam. How do you pronounce it? Yeah, Hoquiam. Hoquiam. One of the one of the last American rainforests. But you, but you, yeah. So but you have to drive through the town that Kurt Cobain lived in, where you can smell the meth as you drive through it. Yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting scent. I think is there. So what's interesting? So with yeah. sherry, it would be filled at sixty two and a half to sixty three and a half percent alcohol. So it's only new white American oak gets filled at fifty five. Which is so, uh, there's two major reasons for that. One is the fact that color is water soluble. So, the lower proof that we fill those barrels out, we get more color extraction from those casks. We don't use any artificial caramel coloring at Wesson, so it's a great way for us to give a little bit of a deeper hue to our whiskeys without having to do any sort of like artificial component. The second part of it is a lot of the aggressive oak flavor that exists, some of that spiciness, those things are ethanol soluble. So, the higher you fill those casks for proof, you get a lot more extraction of those aggressive oak notes. At 55%, we tend to get more of that sort of oak lactone, that creaminess that comes out without any of the, the maybe sort of flavors that would be off-putting to someone that wants a, a lighter style whiskey or a more delicate style whiskey. That's so interesting. So at first I thought that, that because even with your new chart oak, you have a delicate style and I thought that that was attributed to your your air you know your your air dried staves because they're not kiln dried they're air dried so it's a mixture between that and you're filling it at a lower ABV that, that's exactly it so our air dried program we we buy all of our new white American oak comes from independent stave company. And what's interesting about their program is that they offer us two different types of air dried casts. One is Cooper Select, which is our 18 month air dried stave with a number three char and a light toasting to it. And then we have our Cooper's Reserve, which are 24 month air dried staves with a heavy toasting and a number one char to them. Now, during that process of air drying a cast stave, you're basically leaving them outside in, in, a, in a, an outdoor environment and they get a water bath daily. So what's interesting is during that water bath, tannins water soluble. So you're literally helping bleed those tannins from the cast. So by the time that we get that cast, we well, it's interesting when we were just we were just out in Missouri with those guys taking a, a tour of some of the, the fields that we're working in. One of the really th- things that I found fascinating is the fact that when when they talk about our barrels, they're calling them wine casks. Because these are the type of casks that wine producers buy. Yeah. It's very unlikely, you won't find a majority of whiskey producers buying kil- uh, uh, air-dried oak. One, because it's incredibly cost costly comparative to kiln-dried oak. Yeah. And the second thing is, is when you think about the style of spirit that goes into a majority of American whiskey producers, you know, it's, a, it's gonna be a corner rye-based spirit. They're a little denser, there's a little more natural yeah. oil to them. They can stand up to that tannin a lot better than a barley, a much lighter style spirit it's going to go into. So in our wine, we're using two things to ensure that we get a more sort of rounded style spirit coming out of these things at three years. It's the first thing is we fill them at a lower proof again. And that's that idea of giving us more color, less of the aggressive oak tone. The second part of it is, is that it's using these kiln dried oak casts where a lot of, excuse me, those air dried oak casts where we're stripping a lot of that tannin before our distillate ever touches those barrels. Just quickly to get back to what you want American single malt to be. So I understand there's a time frame to uh, amending or adjusting or changing these TTB uh, definitions and I'm curious to know that particular time frame. So in the last couple of weeks we've been we've basically been given an open comment period where we are going to with all the other American single malt whiskey commission producers we're going to be providing them with documentation on what we think the standard of identity should be for an American single malt whiskey producer. So that way it's enforceable. So it actually has, to a certain degree, it says teeth, right? It means that if you're going to put this on the label, 
everything has to be very much to the letter of the law here. And, and that's something that, frankly, you look at any other spirit that has a sense of place, they're very mindful of those things yeah. as well. That's It's nothing all that surprising. The challenge is, is that we've never been a country that's really thought of single malt whiskey, whereas in the Pacific Northwest, it's, it's very much a part of the culture is doing a barley-driven spirit. So while you were busy at Warehouse Liquors, yep, very busy. I, was a, I was across town. And I use that term very loosely because I have no knowledge of Chicago geography. Um, I'm just using it to mean I was somewhere else. Yeah. You, it, you know what? You were. I was. I was at a private club. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw the leather costume. I, I didn't ask. I didn't want to know. You know, if, if they won't come to the whiskey, the whiskey will go to them. Um, <laughs> And so, so I was I was at a private uh, event. Yeah, eyes wide shut. Go ahead. <laughs> Pouring <laughs> exclusive malts. Oh right, and, yes. And given that, in it, it wasn't an official whiskey jubilee week event, but I was in the city. Um, you were busy with the the single malt producers over at Warehouse Liquors, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I was able to help out our Chicago distributor. Uh, with that pouring and I have to tell you the people that I met were really fantastic and and it's always good right so this is this is you know you and I showing both sides of the coin so we talk about a very busy Whiskey Jubilee Chicago Mm. a very successful Whiskey Jubilee Chicago Mm -hmm. Uh, I poured for maybe 30 people not one of them had heard about Whiskey Jubilee Chicago and (laughs) <laughs> wow. It is great, right? Because it's a massive city. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but they were all very intrigued by it. And again, to echo back to something that we talked about earlier, even those who were saying, I'd love to go to that, I had to tell them, well, it's actually sold out. <laughs> so, yeah. so I love your interest now that you've just learned about it next year. And so many people yeah. said, oh, for sure. Next just let us, let yeah. us know. And so, so now my hope is that I did that exclusive malts tasting this year and people loved it, really loved it, learned a lot about single casks, uh, learned a lot about natural cask strength. I talked a bit about the process. Um, my hope is that I'll get to go back to that same venue next year and do a Whiskey Jubilee Week event there yeah. where they do know about the Whiskey Jubilee and I will see them the following night. Um, and that's part of the building of the whole thing. And, and unfortunately, what it means is because we love our venue, we're not entirely sure that we're going to squeeze any more people into it. Uh, we may very well have 30 people who go next year and uh, take up space for 30 people who didn't get to go this year. Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom. Not now. Okay. So that, so that was that. Yes. Yeah, so now now jump on. So you're, you're telling me that we did not speak uh, during Whiskey Jubilee night? We didn't. We didn't, indeed. Yeah. So, so in you whiskey, you brought Jubilee, me some booze, right? Well, I brought you some booze, but one of the things that I wanted to do, because I did interview a few people uh, at the Jubilee, uh, is I wanted to speak with you, but but as per usual, your 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 table was jamming. Well, and, and echoing back to what we said earlier, from the first second that people were allowed in, I had people at the table. Yeah. Uh, pouring everything. I poured the first, second, and third whiskey jubilee bottlings. Uh, first, second, and third Chicago. Chicago. Oh yeah. Okay. I did not have 
a $3,000 Heaven Hill 15-year-old single <laughs> cask on my table. For anybody who attended and now feels like they missed out on something, yeah. no, I did not. I, I poured Whiskey Jubilee Chicago 1, 2, and 3, uh, which was great because so many people were saying to me that it was their first Jubilee. And yeah. so I got to show them, well, here's a thing that we do. And uh, they really loved that that approach. And then I, I think I poured five of our Single Cast Nation retail releases. Yeah. Yep. Uh, three from our first release and two from our second release. Jubilee bottling aside, what what stood out? What's the one whiskey that really stood out for people? It depended if they were PT folk or not. If they were non-PT folk, mm-hmm. the Milton Duff. I was expecting that, yep. Just shocked people. Like, we've, you know, we've had a good year of talking about Jubilee events. And back in March, I talked about the Glen Talkers mm-hmm. surprising people. And I think I poured that in New York as well. We did. Uh, just because it's fun to surprise people with it. And now pivoting to the Milton Duff, uh, people were just blown away by it. So that, that, that was the non-PD folk. And then the PD folk, the Laphroaig 10, the new single-cast Laphroaig 10. So the Milton Duff and then our Laphroaig. Very nice. Yeah. 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 yeah it, was, it was a solid table. Some people came back two, three times to try and find yeah. a, a spot at the table. Um, but yeah, it, I kept looking around the venue periodically. I'd pour for people then to take a little look around the venue looked like all of our exhibitors were busy. So while I didn't have a chance to talk with you, good sir, yeah. uh, I did get a chance to talk with some of my favorite people. Now, Allison Park of Bren, and that she's been supporting the Jubilee since day one. Right? Yep. And so I got speaking with her. Her table was slammed. So she's part of the, the Samson and Surrey sort of larger portfolio of whiskeys. And so we had Bren and we had Widow Jane right next to her. Since we started the podcast, Allison is one of those people that that I've desperately wanted to interview because her origin story is much like ours. And we talk about it a little bit in, in the interview. She started off as a blogger, yep. just like you and I did. And And so I talk with her a little bit about that, a little bit about... Uh, Bren and how she how she got into it, and she talks a, a, about process as well, and how that whiskey is made, which is different than than other single malts. Terrific! Let's get to it. You and I, Allison. Yeah. How long have we known each other? Since two thousand twelve, two thousand eleven. Okay, somewhere around there. I think around there, maybe eleven. I think eleven, two thousand eleven. When you were riding on your bike, yeah. transporting Bren here, there, and yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And, but you you and I started, as well as Jason, blogging. you were blogging. Yeah. Right. We were chit-chatting about whiskey. Yeah. So, and we followed similar things of, hey, let's start a whiskey company. Yeah. So I'm really curious to know, and I apologize if you've told this story before. Um... But how, how did Bren, could you quickly just go over your origin story and how you found this, how, how you founded this to yeah. bring something that is such a unique product into this world? It really is. It's unique and it's beautiful. 
and uh, there's nothing in this place that's like it. And so how, how did you found the company? What, just talk to me, the beginnings, everything, right? What made you fall in love? So I wanted to show or experience for myself that terroir can exist in single malt whiskeys. And when I realized that no one in the world was doing it in the way that I thought it possible to do, right? I'm not saying that no one was doing it. I'm just saying the way that I envisioned it as, as a possibility in my mind wasn't being expressed um, in what I could find and uncover and discover. And so I really thought, you know, this should and could and ought to be done. And I was just on this like endless search for a single malt whiskey that was made of entirely local and indigenous ingredients to see if that exact thing could be proven. Right. So I went, I thought, you know, France is kind of the originators of terroir. Yeah, right? Point, yeah. They have amazing distillation history with Cognac, Armagnac, Calvados. Yeah. And around that time, and I don't, I don't know their stats currently, but at least at that time, they were like, you know, for 10 years in a row, they were the largest consumer of Scotch malt whiskey per capita yes. in the world. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you have this kind of perfect trifecta, and there were only about three, four guys making single malt whiskey, or making whiskey in France before me. Mm. Now there's about 45 distilleries registered, which is awesome. Yeah. Right? And I'm hoping a rising tide raises all ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm really excited to see what happens, but um, but I, yeah. So I so I just thought you know France just seems like a logical fit. Okay. And you're French in nationality, right? This is is this aren't you? Am I wrong in that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, does any of it feel like you know this is my a bit of my heritage that you're bringing forth? That's a really interesting question. Strangely, I never thought about it. That. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I do think you know. I'm. I'm. I'm an. I'm an European mutt, right? I'm an American mutt. Um, I'm French, Spanish, German, and Welsh. And my my last name before marriage was French. And then I had an Indian last name. And then I went back to a French name. So I, I feel like I, I get to be the yeah. citizen of the world. Yeah. And and yes, my heart does beat for both America and France. And okay. and there is something about that culture that has literally always called me. Okay. Now, with the distillation process itself, now, as I understand it, this single malt is produced in Alembic stills, yeah. right? So can you just quickly go over the differences between, say, standard you know, pot still and what an Alembic still, and how that affects the spirit? Yeah, great question. So I, um, I partnered with a family that's been making cognac since 1920. Yeah. Um, so I always laugh with them. I'm like, I'm coming over for distillation. I know I'm not going to teach you anything about it, because what am I going to teach you? about your stills. However, I will say that when I've tasted new make from amazing, some of my favorite Scotch distillers, right, and some of my favorite American distillers, those who are using those pot stills, right, that look like giant onions, um, their new makes tend to be a little bit more um, uh, piney, a little bit more evergreen forward, yeah. right? And when you look at um, kind of the, the the style, the design, the intention of a, an Alembic Chahant still, which is a typical um, cognac still, a brandy still, and it has like a second onion on top of the big one, right? Yeah, exactly. Like two onions yeah. stacked on top of each other. Yeah. With, right? with a smaller line arm, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, much smaller line arm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. Yes, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm, if you, you can't see me on the podcast, I'm waving my arms around like, <laughs> like the ex dancer that I am, trying to shape these stills in the air. Uh, <laughs> but um, what I have found is that our still. 
you know, as you need it to be for a brandy, for a cognac, is you need a lot more of those fruit forward esters to yeah. come out of your new make, yeah. right? And we found that to be the the, the same experience for a um, fermented mash of yeah. cereal, of grain. Okay. Yeah, so we do 100% malted barley, and when you taste brand off of the still, it's like green banana. Like, I know our aged product comes out a little bit more banana foster, yeah. like cooked banana, but the, the on off the still, it's like new banana, green apple, apricot. I mean, it's just it's just really cool. Is any of that yeast driven? Yeah, actually great. Yeah, so we're using, um, I'm using the same strain of yeast that the family uses for their cognac fermentation oh, right. as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so our, you know, quote unquote beer is unbelievable. It's super floral. Yeah. And it's really cool, right? Because you get this floral fermented mash, mm -hmm. right? And then you get this super fruity distillate. Yeah. And I was so excited that they were cool with me not wanting to quiet those notes in an ex-bourbon barrel yeah, as typical really. for single malt. Yeah. Right? Like let's like let's emphasize that. New French oak brings all those vanilla floral notes yeah. forward and adds all that vanilla, that creme brulee. And then those cognac barrels just like punch back up those fruit notes. Yeah. It's cool. That is so cool. Thank you so much. You have been supporting us since forever. I love you guys. And likewise, the feeling is mutual. Thank you so much for everything. I need to get one last hug from you before I tell everybody, like yourself, to start breaking down. You got it. So at the end of the night, I had a an attendee come by my table. And she was very happy, mm -hmm. which is always a good start. I'm happy. not being shouted at by anybody. Yep. Uh, she's very happy. And she said... I've tasted more new things at this show tonight mm -hmm. than I have at, at the other shows I've been going to. Wow. And it's interesting when, when here we are, we've just spoken to Bren, we talk about Balconies in the room, we talk about Westland in the room, we talk about Widow Jane in the room. Yeah. It's, it's important to us, and it has been since day one, that we don't run a festival that's simply populated by the brands that you already have in your cabinet at home. Mm -hmm. It's always been important to have this as an educational festival. Yeah. And you can come out and you can learn about new brands. That is one of the reasons we have a no models policy. Mm -hmm. Is we want people to talk about their brands inside out and back to front right and it's interesting that it's never the small brands who slip up and send models <laughs> it's always the big you know multinationals who are in you know hundreds of countries mm -hmm. who are the ones if anyone's going to slip up they're the ones who send the models and we have a conversation yeah. with them mm -hmm. that's not what we're here to do and on the jolly well go so it's nice. That's also the thing that I enjoy about standing behind my table because the show comes to me and I've got people, attendees, yeah. single cast nation members, Jubilee regulars, people that have been in Seattle, been in yeah. New York, yeah. um, come by the table and report to me. Yeah. And I believe you got a, a couple of, uh, of wonderful supporters of ours on wax. I did. Yeah, I'm just going to go right to the tape. I've been walking around interviewing a bunch of people, people behind tables, mostly people behind tables, but then I had a really fun group of about five or six people that came by and wanted to be interviewed. But now, now, I am with two of my favorite people who I've spent not enough time with. 
but a good good time with right but I think but I but I think about our time on and Scotland together our time on Isla together uh, Aaron you coming out to collecting all the whiskey jubilees and coming to them also I've got Aaron Kraus and Michael Nolan both single cast nation members talk to me both at all three jubilees in the year in 2017 that's right you've been to all three Seattle New York two of us in here is, is this your this isn't your first Chicago one is it first Chicago one yes really like this my, my third like Chicago one all right <laughs> how convenient I know I'll tell you. <laughs> around just the corner because, just because I have to travel three miles you know it's, right it's, it's <laughs> tough well it's interesting seeing the different venues yeah you know the New York one is like it's New York right but and Chicago's got its own vibe and Seattle's like this whole different thing because yeah. it's not like a big city but Chicago's fun it's really cool well this year is great because it's sold out it's packed it's I you know and I said to someone earlier the first two hours, I just went around saying hello to everyone. I know. Because there's just so many people I know yeah, now. Yes. Not only vendors, but right. friends who attend. And it's, it's like what makes it a, a blast. Well, this is probably a bad thing to say for all the people selling whiskey, but it's also, it's for me, it's become about the people. It's less about the whiskey. The whiskey's great, but it's really about seeing people like you guys yeah. and and making the trip to see friends. It's not about the whiskey anymore. Your support is amazing. Your friendship, first and foremost, amazing. Your support is wonderful. So thank you. Thank you. For a long time. Him too. Oh, look at this. Him too. Serious shit going on. Yeah, we're recording again. One of the things that I wanted to bring up, because you'd mentioned a very good point about, you know, bringing in brands that maybe people aren't very familiar with. Widow Jane, right? It was brought up and Balcones, which a lot of people know, but but still, you know, you, you want to talk to the, the smaller brands. You want to AD talk. AD Laws. Right? right, AD Laws, right? Uh I wanna I wanna tip my hat right now to Beam Suntory. Okay. Right. So I was dealing with uh, Jamie over over at Beam, and she's one of their events coordinator. And we're getting closer and closer to the event. And we had put three tables to the side for Beam. We we always do because they always show up. Uh, they they've been supporting <laughs> our event for a while, right? We don't want to take it for granted, but but they've been supporting us. I had forgotten about those three tables. Now, they were to the side, so they were going to get them regardless, but I had forgotten them because they didn't sign up for the event. And I ended up speaking with Jamie the week prior to the event, and she said, look, I apologize. The reason that we didn't sign up the event yet was because all of our Distillery direct or brand direct people initially were out of town. They, they had other things going on, but we freed up some people. The reason we didn't sign up is we didn't want to send models. You have a no model policy and Brilliant. you want to follow that. Brilliant. And, and so interestingly enough, for the three beam tables, you had uh, some, some of their American whiskeys, you had their Irish whiskey, and then you had their Japanese whiskeys. None of their Scotch brands were there because they didn't have the ambassadors there that can talk intelligently about it. 
So we didn't have Laphroaig. We didn't have Beaumore. But in the end, I'm totally happy about that. I'd rather not have those brands in the room. Yeah, 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 than, yeah. Than just have oh, yeah. models pouring for it. Yeah, no, that's very well put. And, and sometimes it is scheduling, right? Yeah. It's There's still three Beam Centauri tables in mm-hmm. the room. They're still supporting the Jubilee. Okay, there's no Laphroaig and Beaumore. How many people go to a whiskey festival and have never heard of Beaumore or Laphroaig? Right, right. yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, granted, we want them at every event. I love but, them there, but but if 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 it's just going to be hired help that you know shows up to the venue, yeah. looking at their phone saying, "Okay, what brand am I here for now?" You know, those oh, are right. not the people that we want at our event. They may do fine in other places, but Jubilee is not that kind of event. Correct. Yep. They might not have heard about Bullmore until five minutes before the doors open. That's not who we want pouring no. uh, at a Whiskey Jubilee. So, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you bring that. Yeah, so that was good. The, you, you were just mentioning mentioning some Irish there. Did you yeah. – I, I know that Hyde was in the room. Was that the first time we had Hyde exhibiting at a Jubilee? It, it was not. Was so, it the first time we had them in Chicago? In Chicago. That was our first time okay. in Chicago. And this was the this was the last interview that I want to bring into the into this episode. I also did interview Aaron Zacharias of Fountainhead, but there's other bar owners that I want to talk to, like you know, like Mike Miller from Delilah's, like like get built. You know, you're close to Jack Rose, right? You speak with Bill Thomas, and then we have, and then others, Seven Grand, and you know, there's other great bars, Tommy Tardy from Flatiron mm-hmm. Room, and yep. and so on. The list can go on and on lindo bar jackalope right christopher Um, grombeck barrel thief exactly so uh you know i want to save that interview for a later whiskey focused bar episode nice it was wonderful speaking with him in fact what's interesting that you bring up hyde is hyde was right next to the next to fountainhead and so i'm speaking with aaron and and the gent from hyde is listening in just learning new stuff about you know what it is to be a bar owner and and a whiskey centric bar and it was very cool and did anyway, you tell so, him to uh, subscribe to One Nation Under Whiskey? What's that? Did you tell him to subscribe to One Nation Under Whiskey? I'm sure I did. I tell it to everyone. Hey, Grandma, <laughs> how you doing? Have you subscribed to One Nation Under Whiskey? Hey, you hobo hobo on the on the train tracks cooking hot dogs on a forked stick. <laughs> With gloves that only show your fingers and cooking beans out of a can over a fire with your dog and a stick that has a, uh, a table, <laughs> a table, <laughs> a tablecloth with stuff in it, and that's that's your pack. So basically, a hobo. Listen to One Nation Under Whiskey. Chad Robinson totally loved that. <laughs> I don't think we've mentioned one person's name. More than Chad Robinson's in a single episode. Chad Robinson. Uh, Chad Robinson of Catoctin Creek fame? Of Catoctin Creek fame. I think he might be related to Mrs. Robinson. (laughs) I could be wrong. (laughs) So... Uh, were you going to say something? It looked like you were going to say something. <laughs> I was, but I'm. <laughs> when you were okay. speaking of grandma, I thought about keeping it in the family, and we got a lovely email from your mom this week saying how much she loves 
listening to One Nation Under Whiskey when she's on her walks. Yeah. And how she's learning about whiskey through our podcast. And so, major shout out to Mama yeah. Diane. Yep. And uh, thanks for listening. Can I just say, thanks a lot, Jason. I'm the son. I'm supposed to be saying that stuff. Now it, she's going to say, my mother's going to say, it had to be Jason that brought it up. That's not, not true. Not my that's own not blood. true. She loves, she loves Jason. I think I she'll she be quite Jason. happy that Jason brought it up. Yeah. I think she may favor you more now. So while you're thinking about, so, hi, mom. So now, <laughs> while you're thinking about what you were going to be saying. That's I, exactly what I was going to be saying. What was that? I said exactly what I wanted to say. That's the other I, thing I was going to add on see, is. Hold on to that. Okay, go ahead. I just got 20 it. minutes ago, we said we were going to run the interview with the guy from Hyde. Okay, so that's what I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> on to Hyde whiskey. So Irish whiskey in the USA has increased in sales in the last 10 years by 700%. It's set to double in sales between now and 2020. And between 2020 and 2030, it's set to treble in sales in the US alone. So the Irish whiskey is in the middle of a renaissance at the moment. It's being led by Jameson, but it's opening a door for an awful lot more whiskeys like ourselves to come out. So our two whiskeys when we launched onto the market were 10-year-old single malts, double matured. One was double matured in a toasted Oloroso sherry cask from a Spanish bodega the other was a 10-year-old single malt, double matured in a Caribbean rum cast from Barbados. Um, but the problem that we've had, so we released these about two years ago, and we've been selling a ton of them. They've been going so, so well. We've been delighted how they've gone. But there's not enough 10-year-old single malt stock left in Ireland to supply the American market. So we're, we have to cancel these products simply because 10 years ago, the Irish didn't forecast that the Americans were going to be drinking as much Irish whiskey as they're drinking today. So we're, we're, we're messing around. We're playing some new whiskies like the, the sherry cask was probably our best product so we're now releasing an 18 year old single malt blended with an 8 year old single grain finished in the same toasted on also sherry cask that the, the 10 year old single malt was but we're not putting an age statement on it so Irish whiskey companies they, they're, they're, they're having to become creative at what they're doing because as I said 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago the Irish didn't realise that the Americans were going to be drinking so much Irish whiskey so they didn't make enough stock to supply the American palate of today, so companies are having to become creative. Um, but it's fun, it's exciting, it's great to see that the Americans are drinking so much Irish whiskey. It's a great market to be in. We're delighted to be in this market at this time, um, and it's it's just really exciting times. So you you actually you started answering a question that I had in my head already. You know, Hyde, like like many other Irish brands, are, are sourcing whiskey from from distilleries, right? And and so I wonder what you are doing. To to, to get your name out there to make high different, and I think you nailed it on the head of these interesting casks, right? And then with this uh, non-age statement, where you've got that eight, 18-year-old single malt and eight-year-old grain, right? And and so it's you're you're blending these whiskeys in a really interesting way. That's our only blend. That's your only blend. The rest okay. of our whiskeys wouldn't be blended in any way, shape, or form. The single malt. Yeah, the rest would be well, no, single malt, single grain. Um, so I hide whiskey were all about the wood. So in Ireland, there was only four whiskey distilleries in the country five years ago. There's now 18 distilleries with a 16 being built. So we don't have our own distillery yet. We're planning on building our own distillery. We source the whiskey, but what we have is we have a huge bonded warehouse where we have 
Toasted Dollar Arsenal Sherry Casks, Caribbean Rum Casks. We have a new product coming out into the market in America that we have here tonight that no one has tasted in the US yet. This is the very first bottle. Finish, finishing a burgundy red wine cask from the Côte Noir region in France. We're messing around with IPA casks, with uh, port casks. We're all about the wood. So we have a huge warehouse full of different casks from all over the world that we handpick. And just to put it into perspective for you, a Caribbean rum cask from Barbados costs in the region of about $1,000. A Kentucky bourbon barrel that most whiskies are matured in, say 80% of whiskies are matured in, yeah. costs you about $80. Yeah. So we're hand-picking some of the best Irish whiskey, yeah. some of the rarest Irish whiskey, and then we're hand-picking some of the rarest casks from around the world, yeah. and mixing them together, double maturing our whiskey, and creating very, very rare, yeah. very special Irish whiskeys. That's very cool. So that's, that's it. You that's how we differentiate ourselves. Yeah. We're all about the wood. Perfect. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank you for having us. It's a great event. And yeah. uh, we, we're very happy to be here. Cheers, man. Thank you. So, Jason. Jason, Jason, Jason. So, Joshua. Joshy, Joshy, Joshy. <laughs> There's a guy from my synagogue um, who, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. So, he, he he's on the spectrum. Um, and he's one of these guys that he'll sit down at a piano and just start playing Bach, Mozart, you know, not Wagner for whatever reason, you know, synagogue, you know, you do the math. Um, was my father-in-law's favorite composer. <laughs> the Israeli. My Israeli father-in-law, I only have the one. Oh, just or the one. The Israeli, or do you mean the Israeli Wagner? The, the Israeli, you only have one father-in-law. I, I I did. Sadly passed. Shit. Yeah, straight out of Israel. And uh, yeah, loved his Wagner. He separated the nationalistic overtones and the anti-Semitism <laughs> from the music that was produced. He's a better yeah. man than me. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you. And, oh, and definitely all a better man than me. Look at that. Without a doubt. But, you know, this is a guy who can just sit in front of a piano and play music back and forth. And then you tell him, my birthday was December 6, 1973, and he'll say, that was a Wednesday. Like, he, it's one of those things, right? Um, but interestingly enough, you know, I've been uh, a member of my synagogue for 12, 13 years now. I've seen him for all 12 to 13 years. He doesn't remember my name. Ah. So when I see him, he says, hey, wh what's your name? I say, it's Joshua. And he goes, Hey, Joshi! Nice. Every time. So you said I Joshi like reminded me of it. I like it. So yeah, so thanks again to to all of our Jubilee exhibitors. Thank you to the attendees. Uh, thanks to everyone who agreed to interview. Uh, I'm sorry. Thanks to everyone who agreed to be interviewed. Chris and to Steph and to, to Malcolm Waring of Old Pulteney. Uh, oh, oh, you know what I meant to mention? was uh, I had a, a really nice conversation with Malcolm Waring of Old Pulteney, who I mentioned before, he was also with uh, Nakadu, and I recorded a good 30 minutes with him just discussing worm tubs. Mm -hmm. So for you, Jason, and yep. for our listeners, we're building yep. out this worm tub yep. episode. Absolutely. I think he also uh, managed Balblair for a while, too. He did not. You asked him that specifically? He started at Old Pulteney. Mm -hmm. And then he went to Nakhdu for a while, and then he went mm -hmm. back to Old Pulteney. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so, so yeah, thanks to everybody, and thanks to you, Jason. I, you know, you you hold down the table each and every time while I'm out and about talking to people and interviewing people and 
putting out fires and stuff, but you do a wonderful job uh, being the face of our brand. And, uh, and you know, some things should not be thankless, so I'm thanking you. <laughs> Did you have any fires that you put out in Chicago? Can I be honest? I mean, it's just <laughs> sure. you and me now, right? Just you and me. Just you and me, the listeners aren't listening. No, I think no, they they tuned out a long time ago. They turned <laughs> off their wirelesses. I I had one, I had I had one uh, very drunk woman. You know, it was politely trying to, eke her, you know, get her to safety, and it wasn't it wasn't easy. But uh, I think in the end, she was with her friend, and they Ubered home safely. Oh wow! Yeah. So so you're not even talking about. No, I'm talking specifically about. Well, Joshua, as we've said many, many, many times before, yeah, I, I don't get to stand behind the table being the face of our brand if you are not out front, yes. putting out fires, getting people home safely, interviewing people for our podcast. So I don't want that to be a thankless task for you. Mm-hmm. And so I thank you for the work that you do at the Jubilees mm-hmm. also. I feel like we're, we're at the point in a massage where we're at the happy ending. Just don't make me watch it. <laughs> it's a power move. Moving right along. Point loose and fancy free. So Jason, before we close out, I want to add in a little news here. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that Playboy <laughs> So, uh, so obviously this is our Whiskey Jubilee wrap-up episode, Whiskey Jubilee Chicago wrap-up episode. But I would be remiss. Remiss. If, right? Is that the... Yep. Yeah. That's it. 100%. Is that it? Yep. Okay. You would be remiss. I'd be remiss. If? If I didn't mention mm-hmm. that tickets for Whiskey Jubilee Seattle are now on sale. Smart. Right? Smart. So the event is March 15. That's a Thursday. It's at Within Soto. In Seattle, two doors down from the Westland Distillery. And so tickets are $95. But if you want a little bit of a discount, we do have an early bird uh, discount code, which is EBGTW, as an early bird gets the worm, 218. And if you use that code upon checkout on our website, whiskeyjubilee.com, just look for the Seattle tickets, EG. B T W two one eight early bird gets the worm two one eight. Uh, you'll get fifteen percent off your ticket. So a ninety five dollar ticket becomes basically an eighty dollar ticket. Perhaps the cheapest night out in Seattle for an all you can eat buffet and and whiskey hundreds of whiskeys. So hundreds and thousands of whiskeys. <laughs> yeah, I prefer the the term all you want to eat. I don't know. I don't like any of these terms. I think people should have a finite amount and they should have the sense to walk away. I agree. But we're Americans. Yeah. Lots of salt. Um, I'll also say, long-time supporter of the show, James Foster, as soon as we put tickets on sale, he dropped me an email and he said, what events do I need to schedule and plan for I know. during Whiskey Jubilee Week? Brilliant. And that was that was great to hear right out the gate. Yeah. And I said, we, we don't have them nailed down yet, but 
definitely bank on them. There mm-hmm. will be events, and it will start on the Monday. It'll go through the Tuesday, Wednesday, and it'll culminate in the Jubilee on the Thursday. Do we have anything else for news, Jason? Uh, second release has launched, but you and I are looking into why it hasn't been seen in California yet. It is trucking its way to Chicagoland. Is it in Massachusetts? It's in Chicago. It's hitting store shelves now. Okay. okay. Uh, Massachusetts. It's uh, in Massachusetts. It's almost completely sold out of Massachusetts. I tell you, Massachusetts is becoming an insane market for yeah. us. No, I know. New York? Are the are the retail bottlings for sale in New York retail right now? Retail bottlings are for, for sale in New York. Awesome. And they're just hitting store shelves now. Okay. In fact, I've been working the New York market. I just had a, uh, a great time out with one of our Skurnik reps and oh, replacing bottles, which is great. And people are loving the rum. They're loving the Milton Duff. They're going nuts over the Laphroaig, which, by the way, is in our glasses now. It is. And, uh, and the Inchmurn, which I'm really excited about the Inchmurn. It's one of those ones that is... It requires you to think about it, and mm. people are yeah, okay thinking about it. Yeah, it yeah um, interestingly, my yeah. brother has a bottle of the rum, and he hasn't yet told me how it is. Um, tells me how a lot of other things are, but he hasn't told me how our rum is. So maybe he'll reach out after hearing this and let me know. Am I closing this on a down note? Murray. Email your brother. Email your brother. Yeah, this is your. You're, this is Murray. This is your brother from another mother talking. Yeah. You need to open the rum. It's a family affair. It's a family affair. All right. So there are many ways to get in touch with us. Obviously, you can email us questions at one nation under You could tweet at us at one nation whiskey. Uh, you can send us an Instagram message at One Nation Under Whiskey, or like uh, Travis Adams, who sent us a message on our Facebook page recently, which is facebook.com slash One Nation Under Whiskey. Thank you, Travis. Yeah, this is the, I was really excited to get this message because it specifically has to do with our Garth Ennis episode, which is a departure from your industry you know, your whiskey industry specific podcast. I just loved hearing this because we, we were a bit unsure about this episode and how people may connect to it. And he says, episode 20, 12 minutes in, and I was completely taken into the amazing creative process of anything, not just whiskey. I would have never brought this all together before your interview. Amazing interview. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yep, that's I, great to hear. Yep, yep. I am. I've also got a comment, but I'm saving mine for after the closing theme song. That's that's known as an Easter egg. I will be laying an Easter egg, pure chocolate, after the final theme song. You'll be laying down some pure chocolate. Are we out of here? Hold on, Jason. Before we. Before we say goodbye to everybody, this episode goes live a day before Thanksgiving, which for me as an American, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's very special to me. Mm-hmm. And, and for us as business owners, partners, best buds, <laughs> it, it, it should mean something to you as well because Thanksgiving Day 2010, I asked you to be my business partner. Oh. Oh, yeah. Right? See that? Oh, See that? yeah. There's something special. You just, look at that. You just pulled me in. I pulled you I in. I thought I wasn't in. 
Yeah. And then you pulled me in. Yeah, I pulled you in. I had to use something to pull you in. I got I'm you. Sure, in. Yeah. I'm in deep. Carry on. You know? Uh, so, really quickly to our American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. We hope you have a great time with your friends, with your family, with good whiskeys, with good wine, with good bourbon, whatever it is. Have a great and safe time. All the best to you. Yep. And we give thanks to all of our listeners, Mm -hmm. no matter the nation, no matter where they find themselves on this small globe, this small rock hurtling through space. Thank you for spending any time during any week with the two of us rambling on and sometimes Mm. hitting good points about the whiskey industry. All the times hitting good points about the whiskey industry. Yes, indeed. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So I too Mm-hmm. At the table when I was pouring at yeah. Chicago Jubilee, Whiskey Jubilee Chicago, had people coming by saying that Garth Ennis interview did you was tremendous and and it was the exact same just as Travis was saying before the closing theme there, it was the nature of creativity, the nature of creating something connecting Mm. with people, Mm -hmm. delivering a common thread through your work. Yeah, people who, you know, a number of people understood what we were getting at with kind of the the whiskey connection of it. Yeah, yeah. But just Garth himself uh, and doing all that heavy lifting that you and I uh, discussed previously, it, it just resonated with people. And just like my brother listens to every episode of our whiskey podcast, not for the whiskey, but for the camaraderie and the and the fun mm-hmm. of our interaction, mm-hmm. I know that a number of people listen to that Garth Ennis interview not because they were big fans of comic books uh, or graphic novels, but the way he spoke, the way yeah. he considered yeah. his art. Yeah, people totally dug it. So that that gives us really. Um, you know, great hope for doing another uh, episode like that, yeah. uh, where we where we tangentially connect to whiskey, but we're just talking to interesting people uh, who we happen to like a lot. <clears throat> yeah, you know, f- for me, interviewing him, and I've spoken with a couple of people about this since. If you know Garth Ennis's work, whether it's preacher whether it's Hitman or The Crossed or the stuff that he's done with Punisher or Hellblazer or what have you. This is a guy whose work is so incredibly graphic and to the point that when I sat down with, to interview him, I was not expecting the person I got. And I was pleased, very pleased with the person I got who was... <laughs> so happy to talk about his art and about the process and his thoughtfulness and his understanding of history and his passion for history. You know, his work is so incredibly graphic. 
So you expect this kind of like, yeah, I'm a guy, rah, 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 you know. Yeah, total no, maniac, yeah. a total Lemmy no, from Motorhead showing Lemmy, up. Yeah, it's Lemmy playing bass guitar, but using that bass guitar to like write a story and 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 draw, you know, blood and guts. And and we got what we got, and he, he was amazing. It was uh, just great, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back and, and re-listen to that episode this weekend just for the fun of it, just mm-hmm. to pick out new things yeah. uh, that I didn't pick up the first time through. Yeah. So again, kudos to you for being the interviewer, giving him the room, giving him the setup, and kudos to him for doing a lot of heavy lifting yeah. and uh, and making that really a, a tremendously interesting podcast. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Let's get out of here for the second time. For the second time. The next time in the second time. Cheers, homie. <laughs> Cheers. Glug, glug, quack, quack. Oh, my arse. <laughs> Fuck. My arse and my back. Oh.